This series that we are teaching is going to run through this month. We will determine next week whether we would like to continue that into the next month or not, because certainly there's still a lot of things I want to talk about, but we will determine. Not only that, we're very grateful to hear uh, the testimonies uh, that we are hearing about how this particular series is really touching people's lives. I thought I was going to have people who are going to come up and give testimony today, but I wasn't able to work it out in time because of my travel, and I just couldn't get things going in time. And hopefully next week uh, we will do that. I think for me, I was telling them in the first service that as much as I've taught this teaching many years ago and over the years I've taught it a couple of times, there are things that I'm noticing are starting to become even more clearer. I think things that for a while I wasn't aware of. There's, you see, God's word shines a light on our lives. You know, Jesus said, I mean, uh, the, 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 David, the, the, the Psalms say, the entrance of his word bringeth light. When God's word enters in, it brings light. You know, you can walk under a cloud of evil things and, or maybe things that don't come from God and never be aware of it. You know, you can, you can walk under a, 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 a weight and a burden and a heaviness on your life and never be aware that you're walking under that burden and that heaviness until the light of God's word comes your way. Because in Christ, what God wants is for us to be free from everything. Free to worship him freely. Freely. There shouldn't be any hindrance when it comes to our relationship with God. Our relationship with God must be flowing. You should be hearing the voice of God. You should be walking in the anointing. The word of God should be real in your life. It should be practical. You should be living a holy life and not bound by sins and habits and all kinds of things, you know. You should be living in contentment that comes from Jesus Christ. You know, God wants that in your life. In, in terms of our physical life, God wants us to walk in health, soundness, healing, wholeness. Doesn't mean we don't have challenges sometimes, but God wants us to be really well and he lived to be a healthy, strong people and live way into our 70s, 80s, 90s, and whatever. Still strong, still okay. Right? God wants us in terms of our financial life to be doing well. You know, it's not all right that you work so hard, but there's nothing to show for it. You know, it's, it's, it's not right. You know, God wants you to succeed. God wants things in your life to be okay. You know, you know this is what I heard from one preacher, and this was quite interesting. You know, we have misinterpreted the word rich. You know, when we say somebody is rich, we are thinking of someone who is a millionaire. But the word rich in its origin rightfully means full supply. Full supply. In other words, what God wants is for you not to lack. You may not have a lot more, more than what you need, but you know, you, you, God wants you who don't have a short supply. That's why in Deuteronomy he told them, no, you won't go to Machonisa. You understand what I mean? Now, I don't know why some of you are not saying amen. And I don't know why I'm looking this side like we work at Machonisa. You, 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 you know, you, you will lend. You won't borrow. Yeah, you will lend instead. So, so your needs will be covered. So God wants us to do well financially. He wants you to do well in your career. You know, God, you know, God wants to bless you in your career, to do well. 
If you're running a business, God wants that business to work. God wants you to do well in relationships. You know, to have these toxic relationships. It's a, God doesn't want that. You know, you can't keep friends. You don't have friends. And your relationships break and you're just not connected to anybody. You know, and, and all, God wants to prosper you in terms of relationships. You know, God wants to protect you, you know, uh, from all kinds of evil that may come your way. And really, that's the blessing of God. That's the blessing of God. That's where, now, it's true, we may not always score 10 out of 10. But even when you're going through difficulty, it's just a season that you're going through. Are you hearing me, Basalan? Some of you, your amen is not convincing. Look at your neighbor and say, your amen is not convincing at all. Yeah. I tell you, Basalan, when, when the blessing of God, we, we, one of our staff workers lost his dad and we went over to the funeral to go and give them support in Jelele. I don't know if you know Jelele. On your way to Musina, uh, 60 kilometers before you get to Musina, you turn right to Njelele. It's a long way from here. And, and so we went there, and uh, in that same area, there's a minister that I know who used to lead a certain church, and then he moved to another area through proper transfers and whatever, and started another church uh, in the area. You know, I think it's been like 10 years, maybe 15 years. And I was like, I couldn't believe what I saw. I mean, he... he <laughs> This man went to an area that was just, a, just an open field. No, there were no people there, no community there. You know, just bought this place on a mountain, eight hectares, I think they got, and started uh, leading a church in a tent. In a tent, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago maybe, just about. Hey, so I went to see yesterday, and... He's built a big church there. Big, hey, huge church. Not only that, not only that, Basalan. There's houses in that area. And the place is in such a beautiful place on mountains, you know. They've got double-story houses, triple-story houses. Basalan, even Santon falls short. No, I'm telling you. Go, go, Venda. And I thought about it. And I've always told people, the presence of a church in the community hmm, brings a certain anointing. Eh? That, I mean, not only has he built a church, there's a whole community that has come up. He had a big house. It's a whole. Can you believe? You know, people say, what's, what's the role of the church? How does the church... I tell you, the prince of a church, I know in Ghana, I think it's Bishop Saki. I just forget that area near Lekwanama Bishop. Uh, we went there when we went around. I don't know if anyone of you remember board mem- uh, council members. We went to an area where, same story as this minister I'm talking about, Wakovend. This man is in Ghana. Now, if you want to see that it's God, it's when it works anywhere, everywhere. Yeah, you know, God is involved. He went to this area, there was no, com- he just got a place in an open place and just just killed this kanga fella just an open field there's no community there as we speak there's a bustling community there there's shops and everything kinds of thing I tell you what's on the blessing of God huh? the blessing of God brings community development yeah we're not talking about entry level anointing here no no, the anointing that changes communities. Yeah. 
May that anointing be upon your life. What do you say? I'm talking about the anointing in your life that's going to change the direction of your whole family. Yeah, that God begins something in your life. That's why you are here. That's why God is ringing the bell in your heart. God is saying to you, it's got to start with you. Can I hear and good amen? It's got to start with you. That's the anointing. When I talk about the blessing of God, no, God's blessing touches everything in our lives. Yeah. And those who don't understand it, Baro Aloya. They don't understand it, Baro Aloya. No, must be. You know, and you don't know, you know, you know, you people because you wanted them to hear this because you see Bazalan, you are not here by mistake any of you personally I believe this series is going to be far reaching into many generations to come why am I saying that because I know I taught it several years ago 30 years ago or so and it, the way people changed and the way there's a, the, the fruit of it in fact, some of them will come and give testimonies next week you'll hear what it does so when you hear God's word, ne, and if the word of God challenges you, look at your neighbor and say, don't ngala. Please don't ngala. Don't ngala. Ne. Don't be defensive. Don't say, how do you know? How do you know? I can't remember. I know. Just receive God's word with humility, with meekness. You know, you receive the word of God with meekness. You know, apply it. Do what the word says and see the outcome of it. Can I hear an amen? amen. So we are learning about uh, the grace that has redeemed us from generational curses. We've realized that there are things that can come upon our generational lines that characterizes our family lines. And we, we can't understand why things are that way. But thank God for his word because now... We are learning. As Proverbs 26, 2 says, like a fluttering bird or like a flying swallow, a curse without a cause shall not come to rest. That wherever you see a curse, there's a cause for it. In the same way, wherever you see a blessing, there's a curse for it. And please, don't mind that we seem to be leaning on the side of the negative and talking about curses. Look, if you are blessed... It's fine. We don't want to tamper with that. We want to leave it as it is. The reason we talk about curses is because we want to live free of the curses. So I want to give a full expose on what that is about. To have an understanding. So that you can know what you're dealing with. Can I hear an amen, Bazaar? We've learned that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That curses are of a nature that God sent his son. To deal with curses on the cross. It was so, such a serious thing with God that it caused the death of his son on the cross. We said that a curse or a blessing are defined in the same way. A blessing or a curse are words spoken which carry a particular form of spiritual power, either good or evil, that brings to pass certain things that carry on from generation 
to generation. And so we saw that many of these things we talk about, they, we may go through them in our lives, but just for a season. And if it is for a season, you don't need to worry that there's a curse on your life. It could be just you are being under the attack of the enemy of Satan, which happens to all of us. However, if these things happen in your generational line, then you are dealing with something much more bigger. But the good thing is this, that with curses, there is a way of stopping them. Even if they are generational, there has to be somebody who will rise up in that generational line and say enough is enough. And put into practice spiritual law that will change things. Most people don't understand that spiritual law works all the time. No matter how long it takes for it to work, it works. Because these are laws that are there that we found here. See, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they lived in an environment of the spiritual laws that constituted the blessings of God. Think about it. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were alive spiritually. They had a vibrant living relationship with God. When you read Genesis 1, you can see that God would come and visit with them. And they would meet with God face to face and have that fellowship with God. Not only that, in the Garden of Eden, God had already provided everything they needed because that's the way God is. God never takes you to a place that the provision doesn't precede you. He built this place called Eden. Fills it with all the goodies that they will need. And places them there because just just the way God works. Wherever God sends you, no matter where it is, He's already made provision available even before you get there. And this is why if God sends you, He will pay the bill. No matter where He sends you. If He assigns you, He will give you the equipment. And for that reason, if you're struggling and you are saying you went there because God sent you there, we have to ask certain questions, or did he speak in the first place? Were you sent or did you went? I know that's not good English. So Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and there's stones of topaz and gold and silver. There's water there, there's food there. The ecosystem is balanced. There's no plant that dies. They don't have to water the garden. They don't have to mow the lawn. You read about Eden. Water comes from the ground and waters the garden. The trees are vibrant and alive and all the animals are under their authority and power. And there's no animal that's a predator. There's no food chain because all of them are herbivores. They're all eating plants. None, no animal is eating meat. None of them is a carnivore. And Adam has been given authority to name them. And they are obedient to him. And he's living this life and he has a great marriage, his relationship with his wife. I mean, things are great. But God tells them, here's a law. Don't touch the tree of the garden. You do that, you're going to disturb this balance. You do that, you're going to open a door for evil to come in. Evil which at the time didn't exist in the Garden of Eden. But if you break this spiritual law, 
Not only will it affect you, not Bezalel. That's the problem with these things. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, through the disobedience of one man, death came into the world. Think about it. One man commits sin and it affects generations to come. And that is why the one man Jesus dies on the cross and it affects generations to come as well. Because in spiritual law, what is done by one affects the ones that follow. In spiritual law, what is done by one doesn't dissipate with the one. It stays in the spiritual atmosphere to affect those who follow. And therefore, there are those who may not be there when the wrong is committed, when the law is empowered. But many years down the line, they get affected by a law. And they don't understand why my life is going this way. Why is it that these things that are happening in my family until they can have the wisdom of God and they can get the knowledge from God and the revelation from God to stand up and maybe intercept the law or change the law. And so there are many people who are living under the spiritual law that was empowered by their great, 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 great grandfather, great, great, great grandmother years ago. And now it's there in the lineage, in the DNA of the family. And so I tell young people, I say, you know, there are some of these young people who are raised in good homes. Good homes. Some of our young people, all they know is church. But when they get to a certain age, they want to bring into their family things that were never there. What they're not understanding is that they are tempering. with a blessing that is multi-generational. And they want to go and experiment with stuff. Because they say, no, we want to leave you every Sunday. Even when you are happy, you don't drink anything. That takes you to another level. Labora. But what they don't understand is that, they, that they, the reason for them being blessed is because they are reaping the benefits of their decisions of their parents. They think it's their cleverness and their wisdom that makes them things to work in their lives. And then they get into disobedience. And then it starts changing and they start running into hurdles and they can't figure out. They can't figure out. They are, they've tempered with a spiritual law. They're trying to change the DNA. And for some of us, and some of you is on the other side, you've lived in a family that has gone down the wrong path. Now God picked you out in that family. Here you are today, listening to the word. As you're, you're listening to the preaching, you're looking around in your family and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But then you realize, please be encouraged. God is picking you and saying what's working. It is with you that we're going to interrupt this generational curse. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand. God says it is, it is with you. It is with you. Things have to change. Things have to change. So I'm going to show you a few things today that are really going to <laughs> they're going to have a lot of impact. They impacted the people in the last service. 
Today I want to talk about sources of curses. Like I said, I want to show you where the curses come from. Number one, God himself. All right. God, in Deuteronomy 28 from verse 15, there's many other places in the Bible, but I think Deuteronomy 28 from verse 15 summarizes, or the whole chapter summarizes curses and blessings, and maybe if you want to bring it to the bare minimum, this is how we summarize it. The main cause of blessings is obedience to God, and the main cause of curses is disobedience to the commandments of God. All right? So you obey God, you walk in blessing. You disobey God, you open a door for curses. And that hasn't changed, Barcelona, even in this dispensation of grace. Because, you know, today people talk about grace, grace, and, and they, they forget that you can't just pick one principle and separate it from everything else in the Bible. Even in this dispensation of grace, you read in the New Testament where Ananias and Sapphira lied about the offering and they fell down and died in church in the dispensation of grace. So you obey God, you open a door for blessings. You disobey God, you open a door for curses because God has already set the laws in motion. Are if you do this, this is what will happen. It's a principle. If you do this, this is what will happen. If you do this, this is what will happen. Don't have to pray about it. It's already there. Okay? Maybe God should just write at the bottom, T's and C's apply. (laughs) So it's already there. So if if you go on the other side, you don't even have to pray about being blessed. If you do what he said, he said, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You do it, the blessing comes with. But on the other side, it does success. So that's the one example. The second one, which we want to talk about is cases that are pronounced by men on behalf of God. Write it down. Cases that are pronounced by men on behalf of God. Now you know that Joshua was the successor of Moses and his assignment was to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And on the way, he had to fight many battles and overcome many cities. And when he came to the city of Jericho, they overcame Jericho, brought it down, And in that time, after the victory, Joshua makes a statement. Please note, Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. My goodness, I like the way you are listening, eh? Woo! Jesus! Joshua 6, 26. Now I'm going to read it in two translations. The reason I'm doing that, as I said to you, all right. I really want to take time to go through this thing so that you understand. See, the minute you can catch the principle, I tell you, Vazalana, when light comes, I tell you, you, things can turn around. Can I hear an amen there? Joshua 6, 26, you read in the New King James Version, then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. At that time Joshua invoked this curse. Remember, a blessing and a curse are words spoken. Words spoken. Remember when Jesus came to the fig tree? He says he cursed the fig tree. It's not Horohakana. It's negative words. He says, no man eat fruit from thee hereafter forever. That's what Jesus said to the tree. And the following day, Peter says, hey, 
Master, look, look. The fig tree which you've cast has withered away. See? So it's words that were spoken. So he invokes a curse. He says, may the curse of the Lord, oh my goodness, fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. The cost of his firstborn, at the cost of his firstborn, he will lay his foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. Now, 500 years later, during the reign of King Ahab, king of Israel, a man by the name of Heel tried to rebuild Jericho. Now, Heel was not there when Joshua made the pronouncement. He wasn't born yet. But like I told you, spiritual law, what is said doesn't dissipate. It stays in the spiritual atmosphere. See, see, some of you, you, you've been doing good, praying, doing all things right, and, but you're not seeing fruit of what you're doing, and you've assumed that because you're not seeing it, it's all in vain. No. It stays in the spiritual atmosphere. It may come up with your children, with your grandchildren, who will reap the fruit of what you've done. But with spiritual law, once you set it in motion, it goes to action unless it's intercepted, interrupted, and changed. Unfortunately, we don't understand that because we live in a physical world and our reality is what we see, feel, taste, smell, and touch. But there's a world of the spirit out there. That's why Bible is, be not deceived, God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. So sometimes people do stuff and they think they got away with it. Uh, it may not affect you, but it's going to affect your children. It will affect your grandchildren unless somebody intercepts it. Yeah. So people don't understand that. Because you know, people sometimes are happy to know I got away with it, I wasn't caught. <laughs> really? You sure? No, not with spiritual law. So 500 years later, here is one of our two. I don't know if he was there. I don't know if he knew what Joshua had said. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. He rebuilt Jericho. Let's see what happened. I'm reading you the Bible now. First Kings chapter 16. This is 500 years later. The New King James reads, In his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. And with his youngest son, Zagub, he set up his gates according to the word of the Lord, which has been spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translations. It's more clearer. It was during his reign that Heel, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations. It cost him the life of his oldest son, Abiram. And when he completed it, he set up his gates. It cost him the life of his youngest son, Zagob. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, here, hypothetical case. 
Let's imagine the day Zagub went to hospital and he wasn't well, or when Abiram went to hospital and he wasn't well and he's sick. Right? And the doctor sees him, puts a stethoscope on him. Brother is not well, but the stethoscope can't pick up what's wrong. And then he dies. Can you imagine what the report was? What, what does the doctor say? How do you know? How do you diagnose? How do you write a report? He is affected by some unseen, in, inexplainable something. We can't put it into words, but it's killing him. The boys themselves may not have understood what have I done? Why is my life going this way? But it was, it was sent in motion. 500 years before they came around. And that is why when you see this type of patterns in your family line, don't be passive. Don't allow them. Don't behave like an RMS capsule. You don't deserve that. You are a child of God. You are born of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Do what David did. Seek the Lord. Ask God, God, I don't know what's going on. God may not show you the whole story, but he will show you how to turn it around. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, these two guys, they, he loses his children. Why? Joshua spoke by the anointing of God. And they were telling them in the first service, I'm very careful what I say. as a pastor over this congregation. I'll be honest with you. Even, even on days, and I've been kasulat by these sheep. Because the sheep sometimes, they are chichiris. Sometimes, you say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't tie it to the sheep, sometimes. But it is in those unguarded moments where we cause the most damage. Because we're angry. And we say something. Oh yeah. Let me give you the second example. David, when he found out that Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan, had been killed by the Philistines, he issued a lament. He cried. Because the Philistines had killed these two on a mountain called Gilboa. And so he, I'll read the lament in a while. And the reason David was so distraught is because in these days, in those days when, when nations fought, it wasn't just about the people fighting. It was almost like the battle of the gods. Because their practice was that if they were able to invade you and take you over, they would cut the heads of their enemy, parade them around, and take them to the temple and offer them to their gods. So it wasn't really just about the human element. It was the spiritual element. It's almost like the God of the Philistines has defeated the God of the Jewish people. David couldn't take it. So how can Jehovah God 
be defeated by another God. He's the only true God. So he's, he's angry. And he says something. In 2 Samuel chapter 1. At the funeral of Saul and Jonathan, he composes a funeral song. And I'll read it only in the New Living Translation. Then David, 2 Samuel 1 verse 17, then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan and he commanded that it be turned to the people of Judah. It is known as the song of the bow. It is recorded in the book of Joshua. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon. Oh, the daughters of the Philistine will rejoice and the pagans will laugh in triumph. Now listen to the curse. Oh, mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you. No fruitful fields producing offerings and grain. For there the shields of the mighty heroes was defiled and the shield of Saul will no longer be anointed and the bow of, Jordan was of Jonathan was powerful. And so we read this and we note 3,000 years later in our century, in this century, Jewish people went back to their land, started rebuilding their land, started replanting crops on the mountains, recultivating the lands everywhere. And everywhere they had success. But to date, they can't understand why in Gelboa nothing grows. There's just this patch of land where nothing is happening. No matter what they do, no matter how much technological advancement they have, no matter how much success, it doesn't make sense. How can everything around be good and yet this patch? What's wrong? There are places and geographic spaces and lands that something sits on them that you can't see. Sometimes I see people, you know, places being built. It's a, it's a shopping complex. It's a mall. All things being equal, you know. That mall should be doing well. Because there's traffic. They've done their feasibility study. It's not working. When you see things go that way, there's something wrong. Doesn't make sense. Something very wrong. Like I told you, when we came on this land, I remember that. First Sunday we came, it was in October, the year 2000. We had a great service. And then we dedicated this place first, Sunday in no first Saturday in November. And then we started having services. And you know, we were having services, we were running around. But I would stand and preach and there was just a cloud of heaviness. There was, there was just something. Something. They could tell no man. Something's not right. What do you do? You don't just allow it. No. No. I didn't tell anybody. I just took time to pray and fast. Not come here. On this stage before it was um, renovated like this. And I stand here and I, put, and I stand on the pulpit and I pray here. I think I did that for two or three weeks if I remember. I just, just prayed. Three times a week or so. Just prayed and prayed and prayed. Pray for an hour. Pray for two hours. Three hours. Just however. 
just pray. But and every time I prayed, I just felt there's this weight. Now, why could I pray? And I'm going to come to it later, even if I'm going ahead of myself. But I, I've got to say it at this point. I could do that because of being senior pastor of the church. As the leader or the head of the organization, upon my life rests authority that what comes into this house, right, what comes into this house, I can close or open the door. Same with you. You as the head of the family, you are doing all kinds of funny stuff. Do you know what you're causing your family? Do you know the doors that you're opening? You know, or nobody saw you. Eh? You think nobody, nobody found out? You're joking. Playing games. So I stood here and I prayed and I knew I could do that. And I remember the one day God opened my eyes, spiritual eyes. And I saw right over there, right over there. Many, many birds sitting. And you know, when God shows you something like that, you'll immediately know what it means. You don't have to go low with among man. And I, and, and, I, and I knew that time, when I saw the birds, I knew. Because in the Bible, birds have many significances, but one of them is it's a, it's a symbol of demonic presence. Jesus, when he taught the parable in Mark 4, says the sower sows the seed of the word. It says, when the seed is sown, the birds of the air came. When Abraham was, was, was making an offering to God and making a blood covenant with God, when he cut the piece of meat and put it there for God and he was making a covenant, then the birds came to try and devour the meal and he chased them away. I knew, I knew what those birds meant. I knew what they meant. And, 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 and now, and this is the theme, Bazalan. You see, you see, you can pray for all kinds of things. And it's not going to affect the birds. I knew at that time, I didn't need to pray. I needed to give a word of command. Yes. And that, 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 there are things that need prayer. There are things that need a word of command. So I gave a command to those birds. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you. To leave this place, leave this building, and leave this yard. They flew away to another place, and that place has never been the same since then. I will never tell you what that place is. Nobody knows what that place is. I will never reveal. But from that day, things didn't go well in that place, and they don't know why it's not going well. Now, uh, just for my own safety. <laughs> I don't want to be misunderstood. I didn't send the beds anywhere. So I didn't. I just commanded them to leave. I said, leave this building, leave this yard in the name of Jesus. Since that day, the atmosphere in our church changed. Church that I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Now, I see, you see, yeah. Thank you for that half-hearted hand clap. Thank you. I know some of you, you are clapping, but you are confused Even if you are clapping. These are things that we are never taught in church. We play around with spiritual things. We play church. When other people who are invoking curses, they know these things. 
Thank God for the revelation of his word. I said, thank God for the revelation of his word. Oh, yeah. So, David says that. And even today in Gilboa, things are not happening. Number three. Thirdly, cases that are released through relational authority, what I just explained. What, I, what do I mean by relational authority? Now, you know, unfortunately, in our world today, and it was predicted by the Spirit that we're going to live in a time where people are disrespectful and they are not obedient to authority. That, that, that's one of the curses of the last days, or the, rather the marks of the last days. And so what the world is doing quickly is to try and overlook the reality of authority. That people want to disregard the fact that there are those who are in authority over them. And they owe it to those who are in authority over them to show honor and respect. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to endorse what they're doing. But you can be respectful. You can be respectful. Unfortunately, we're not living in that kind of world. Our world today tells you, tell them a piece of your mind, right? Just give them a piece of, just tell them. So people rebel in churches, they rebel in homes. They tell their parents, I hate you! You know, it's sad, Bazalana. In my travels, as I travel around the West and around America, I see so many of the young people. Many of you may not see because you, you see a glamorized version on television. And it's, it's, it's pathetic that we're trying to emulate what the West is doing and what America is doing. They're struggling there. Yeah, they're struggling. They don't know what to do. The kids there are off the hook in these freedoms of today. Off the hook. Remember going to Germany? The one time I was in Germany, and we were commuting by train. And at the train station, there was this young guy, this young boy. The friend was crying hysterically. Crying hysterically. And the police came. So I thought, what has happened? Tried to find out. The boy had just overdosed. And he had taken too much drugs. He was dying. Watched a, watch a young boy, 16 years, dying on the curb of the street. First world. Most of Mercedes-Benz, BMW, you got the... That may be the sign you see, but what you don't see is the struggle in families. The pain of mothers and fathers. The challenge in their schooling system. The problems that government has to carry with kids who've been eaten by drugs. Even when you go now to the east, to China and some of those places, they don't show you those things. We travel, we see that. We see it. I remember one place where we go to where they have legalized some of these things that our country is trying to legalize. And the coldness in that place, the hardness in people, the way that people don't even have a conscience when they do certain things. They, there's no line, there's no, there's no boundary. They can just do anything anyway. And we don't have the intelligence and the wisdom to stay away from that. Goodness. But we don't see. We try to modernize. And in our modernizing, we want to import the values of these people. 
And you go to some of these countries, they don't have growing churches, they don't have a vibrant spiritual life. People that don't care about God. Baublella. In one country, Baublella, don't tell me about God, just a figment of your imagination. I've got my car, I've got my house, I've got my porch, I've got my boat. Who is God after all? But go into their families and see what's happening in the families. And people forget that there's a man who, who had it all once. His name is Solomon. And there's nobody on the face of the earth who will ever have it all like that guy. And at the end of his life, when he writes, Urman, I've had it all. I've pursued everything. I've had an abundance. Talk about money, I've had it. Talk about wives. I've had many wives, thousands. In this case, it was true. Yeah, he married. Many. He had wealth, wives, riches, fame. People traveled from everywhere to come and see the splendor that he had and the glory he had, everything, he had wisdom because God had given him wisdom. He had wisdom. He pursued knowledge, education, and he, oh. And everything we're running after. Then he said, you know, but at the end of it all, it's all vanity of vanities. It's vanity of vanities. I've come into my old age. I can't sleep at night. I don't have peace. I've got accolades. I've got, I've been given awards. Maranakili won. Everybody celebrates me, Mara. I can't sleep at night. But at the end of it is vanity of vanities. The main thing is to follow God. Have it all. No problem with having it. But let God be number one on top of it. Come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Have it all. But if you try to draw satisfaction from these things, all you're going to do is to run into a wall. Now, what are our people doing? Killing each other for money. Brandishing the riches they have. Drinking themselves into a stupor. Calling it good life. There's someone who has done that before. Don't have hope at the last school physical. Be wise. Put God at the center of your life. Ah, oh, come on. Let's hear a good amen. All right. So, relational authority, Barcelona, is a serious thing. Be very, very careful how you relate to someone who's your senior. But also, as a senior, be very careful what you say and how you handle the people who are under you. You can put a curse on their lives. What am I talking about? Husband and wives, children and parents teachers and pupils, pastors and congregations. Because of these relationships, words spoken for those who are under their authority or leadership have special supernatural power, whether blessings or curses. In fact, it's not a mistake that in Bible times, and you know, most of these things were in our culture, but you know, we're trying to be so modern that we walk away from that. You know, respect in African culture is a big thing. Yeah. That we use a preface when we address somebody, Omuhulu. It's a good thing. Because we want to create an invisible barrier to say, there's a barrier I don't cross when I deal with this one. Even if I can't quote there's words I will never use. 
No, but our young people today don't have a barrier. They think we are the equal. They think they can just give us a piece of their mind. Just, you know. They don't understand this law. That's why we must teach it. I blame us. We haven't taught them. I have a now who will rebel against it. But let's give the truth to them. The most important blessing in the Bible, in fact, that any person could get second to God's blessing is the blessing of your father. And I want to talk to this, Bazalan. Mobabiling. Let me tell, let me share, let me share with you. You see, we haven't understood why there's such a problem when it comes to the issue of fathers. Satan is very wise to orchestrate that fathers don't take their rightful place. They cause pain to their children and harm to their children such that their children become rebellious and rebel against their authority and these fathers then say stuff on their children. You see, the problem with spiritual law, it doesn't say who's right, who's wrong. So the father starts saying all kinds of things. We're no useless, we're no when I hate you. Yeah, you cast tolumusebet. I cannot have. No, I no cast pilisebak. And then, and then there's an exchange of words. Right? Yeah. What they're not realizing is they are pressing certain buttons. Yeah. They're pressing certain buttons. A curse never comes without a cause. Teachers have messed up the lives of learners. I say to a child who's a slow learner, and, and by the way, I say that with a pinch of salt, this slow learner thing. It just depends. Sometimes our style of teaching is narrow, doesn't fit certain children. And I'm not blaming the teachers. There are many people who if they went with what the system said, they, wouldn't, they would never have been regarded as, 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 uh, as uh, 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 academics. I mean, Dr. Matsman, I don't know how many of you know, if you listen to him preach, there are certain ways you would say this way. It's called dyslexia. He's supposed to be dyslexic. But he found a way. You see, because if the traditional system can't teach you, there's other ways you can learn. I once attended a seminar. You know that seminar? I, I, I wept in that seminar. I cried. I cried my eyes out in the seminar. And they, they, they had entitled it uh, Differently Abled People, something like that. And as I sat there, I noticed my prejudice and my narrowness in taking everyone and putting them in the same basket. And unfortunately, that's how the world system does See? And I realized that the people who learn differently, it's just our style of teaching doesn't reach them. That even with people who have Down syndrome, they, they still have giftings within them that can be expressed. But our traditional system doesn't make room for them. I went there because I'm a pastor. See, in the church, we, everybody must be accepted here. We may not be specialists, but we should know a little bit to accommodate people. Yeah. How many teachers have said to children, you'll never amount to anything? 
Because their system said to you, you are not among the best. Some of you have walked around with that on you. Here you are today. You will not study. You will not go further. In the, you don't want to. Because every time Osama, there's this invisible voice that's telling you. What about in families when some uncle tells you, Umubi? Yeah, and some of you, you, you don't like how you look. God made you the way you are. God, God made you the way you are. Who are we as human beings to tell you that God made a mistake? But there are many people who are carrying this baggage throughout their lives. And it sits as a weight on their shoulders. In certain things, they can't do those things. We had a teacher in one of our schooling years. I won't say which year it was. This teacher always, when he came and stood before us, he'd always rub his nose. I was surprised. He was told in his childhood that his nose was... <laughs> so you grew up with a man's But all these things, people who are our seniors speak over us. They don't understand what they're doing. They're killing a destiny. They're destroying. That's what I'm saying, Bazan. Don't bring shame on children. If you want to talk something, don't try to use shame to shame them. Don't use fear or use words of scaring them or whatever. Be careful. You are shaping a future here. Now, correct, yes. Discipline, yes. Do it with love. Do it in a positive way. Do it in a way that will build up the child. Because you are forming a life here. How many people feel constrained in their lives today? Grown-up people. And even when we tell them, no, umuntle. No, they still don't believe you. Usho. <laughs> now, the example I want to give, it's a very interesting one. It's in Genesis 31. Jacob worked for his uncle Laban. And Laban had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. So Jacob really loved Rachel. All right. So he, he approached his uncle, he said, Bona, I really would love to marry your daughter Rachel. The uncle said, All right, you work for me for seven years. All right. And the brother went to work. Ladies. When a man is in love, he works. No, no, no. For that reason, a man's way of showing love is to give a gift. Some of you ladies, when the man in your life gives you a gift, you throw it back at them and say, How do you Just broke the guy's heart. Because when a man loves a woman, what better? 
Nzake betha le yanong ke a betha na ka betha tsa mawaka ke ole ke mo betsetse ke mo betsheditse ka Mother's Day ke mo betsheditse ka anniversary ke mo betsheditse ke mo betsheditse because na ke ithatela munna wa betha now what's kind ka mo shapa mo sfatlegong ka yona you're breaking the man's heart now i understand he must stay at home and do whatever i understand that but don't 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 mistreat his gifting because our child is not going to give you a gift again. And everyone need to ubatla obetse to haru one net fair. Even if you are an independent strong self-sufficient woman, one net there. Come on, come on, come on. Ubatla obetse to one net fair. Ne ubatla obetse. Yeah, na ke obetse. Haru fitla go gae ke motse ke motse la tie busuko ke ba motraying ke misetse. Hai. Ka ingangela. Ke mosadi wa ka. When a man is in love, he goes to work. That's how we do. We may not be good in communication. Because eh? communication We may not be good in explaining. We may not be maybe Larry Koropa Anyhow. So Jacob goes to work seven years. And after seven years, they prepare to have a wedding. And I don't know what Jacob had drunk that night. When he woke up in the morning, he up, wakes up with a different woman in his bed. It's not Rachel. We was robbed. Goes to his uncle and said, Uncle, how can you? I said, I'm sorry for you, man. This one is older than this one. I still want Rachel. The uncle says, all right. You work another seven years. <laughs> hey, the brother is in love, huh? So he goes to work for another seven years. And at the end of seven years, he's got these two wives. And after several years, he's got children. He's amassed a, a great amount of wealth. And he's thinking, my uncle, oh, how wrong, Lomuntu? I want to leave. I'm going to take my wives and my kids will leave. So when Laban had gone on a long trip, Jacob calls his wives, his children, his wealth, everything, and he dashes away. In the process, whilst he's leaving, Rachel takes the idols of Laban. This small god, Sanadibaya, to bring luck, Wadinka. Unbeknown to Jacob. So when Laban comes back, finds out the brother is gone. He's very angry. He sets out to get him. Seven days later, he catches up. And I'm reading the story for you. Go with me to Genesis 31. Genesis 31 verse 25. It says, Laban caught up with Jacob as he had camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by stealing away like this? Laban demanded. How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you steal away? Why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren 
and tell them goodbye. You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you. But the God of your father appeared to me last night <laughs> and warned me, leave Jacob alone. Leave him alone. Verse 30. I can understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home. But why have you stolen my gods? <laughs> so Jacob answered, no, I rushed away because I was afraid. I, I thought you'd take your daughters from me by force. But as for the gods, see if you can find them. And let the person who has taken them. Yeah, you got it. Die. He doesn't know that his wife has taken the gods. That's a problem with spiritual law. Even if you don't know, even if you are sincere, you are sincerely wrong. Let's fast forward. Several years later, not long after this, Genesis 35, verse 16, reason, and read the New Living Translation. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on towards Ephrath, but Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaims, don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die. But with her last breath, she named her name me Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Verse 19. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. Her husband, through relational authority, released words over his wife. I don't think when she died, they traced it to what he said. Because they didn't have the revelation you and I have today. How many things in our lives was it have gone wrong because of words we've spoken? Can I do one more? Okay, I'll close with that one more because I'm over time now. Just one more. Record number man. Number four. Self-imposed curses. Self-imposed curses. Be careful what you say about you. And at the end of this sermon, I'm going to lead you to saying things about you that are different, that invoke a blessing. Amen. It's going to change not only you, God's going to inject something new in your generational lineage. Amen. If you believe that, shout amen, somebody. Amen. In Genesis 27, we read an interesting story about Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. When Isaac reached his old age, as I said before, he then wanted to bless his children. 
And the protocol then was to bless the older son. Because he's an older son, blessing would come on him and of course would spread to the rest of the family. So, he called Esau, his oldest son. And he said to him, go and make a meal for me. Bring it here. Serve me the meal. I want to eat the meal. And I want to speak a blessing over you before I pass on. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, overheard the conversation. And I get to go to Bomba Basara Tipakabakala. I don't know. <laughs> because she loved the younger one, Jacob. She quickly went to Jacob and said, Hey, I've overheard what your dad said. Can you rather go quickly, prepare a meal, take it to your dad so that he blesses you? Jacob says, No, Mama. Esau. He's a hairy man. Our father Isaac, because now he's old and he's blind, he's going to reach out his hand and feel the body. And if I go there because I'm not as hairy and I'm smooth, if he finds out it's me, I will invoke a curse for myself instead of a blessing. And Rebecca makes a statement. Genesis 27, 11. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Ah, verse 13. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go and get a goat. Things went on without Isaac finding out at that time that the one who was serving him meal was not Esau, but Jacob. But when he found out, even though the blessing had been given to the wrong one, but when he found out, <coughs> when he found out what Rebecca had said became a reality because when you read from that chapter, nothing is said about her. Instead, we read in Genesis 39, 31 that she died. She fast-tracked her death through words she spoke over her life. Let me close. Instead of speaking death over your life, even in times of great discouragement, when you've done something that's not so bright, don't say, I'm foolish. Why take it slow? I'm making an example. I'm revoking that. I'm not slow. I'm fast. And we say these things, we don't mean it. But if you jump off a 20th story building and you didn't mean to jump off, gravity doesn't say, I will. Gravity earring. Hoy. 
And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us corporately. I'm going to ask every one of you to participate in this. Because in this that we are doing, we are revoking every ounce of curse or spiritual power that has been initiated in your life. Even things that you may not know about, things that may have gone on 500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Because now we understand a curse never comes without a cause. And as we stand in the presence of God, I want to lead you as your pastor, as a leader who stands, as a bishop who's overseeing this entire church and everybody who's watching. Whatever, however you receive me, I want to lead you in these statements. Remember, a blessing or a curse are words spoken. So we're going to speak words. See, to those who don't know, they think we're wasting our time. What they don't know is that the man who stands here, I learned this years ago when I was working. A job that was the lowest job in the entire company. Had a call of God in my heart. Didn't know how things were going to work out. Had lots of questions as a young man. Had a dream, but I didn't know it was going to happen. And I knew over and above all my efforts, all my working, all my planning, over and above that, there has got to be the supernatural power of God that rests on my life. And I remember part of my prayer time and my quiet time that I still do today. Not only would I pray, I would take what I'm going to give to you now and some other extra things and begin to make a declaration over certain areas of my life. Because Mama Lamba Zalana, if you don't put the principle to motion, you will be locked in a vicious cycle in your life. It's not going to go away on its own. It's going to be pushed away by a greater force. You've got to shine a light on that darkness because darkness will not go on its own. But when you shine a light, it runs away. You've got to start somewhere. Like I said in the morning service, it may not disappear now. Mara, one day is one day. And the key is you've got to stay with it. Yeah. And I was surprised how this worked. That attending at Rama during my first year in 1981, sitting in class, that year I had gone around to look for a job. My mother, you know, she challenged me to go look for a job because we were going to school in, at night. I went out to market, like a Palama Pass, I looked for a job, couldn't find a job. And, and I don't know how they came to pick me, but in hindsight, I think somebody told somebody who told somebody you know those kind of things there was a white couple that i used to sit next to that had recommended me to go and get a job at a pick and pay in some area in Runbeck. and when i went to this shop they wanted my matric certificate so i brought it i thought you know i mean those days when matric was something to boast about <clears throat> so i went with my matric certificate and, and i thought they would hire me at least working the till or something. No! 
There was this young white boy, sorry, guy who decides with my metric certificate is going to get me to price, to put a price tag on the on the stock. I, I was angry. No, no, I wasn't angry. I never went back to that shop. I said, why did he ask me to bring a certificate for that? I mean, I didn't mind. I would work the job. Why asked me to bring? He, he's, he said, bring your certificate. I brought, I did a test to bring my bill. Ha! I was angry. So this couple asked me, did you get a job? They said, no, I didn't get a job. I didn't tell them. They said, no, I didn't get a job. And I don't know. I think they went around because they probably knew Pastor Ray or somebody. I don't know what they did or they knew our principal, Graham Cross. Probably they went to him and they told him, this young man is looking for a job. For I don't know. One day I'm sitting in class minding my own business and the principal calls me and says, Mosa? Ah, about Mosa. Mosa? And then I go to him, he said, look, we have a job for you here. Are you willing to work at Rayma? Okay, I didn't even ask. But you are going to work in the mailing room. I didn't ask what the mailing room was. I said, yeah. <laughs> that was my first job. Working in the mailing room, I've explained what it was. But it wasn't, didn't earn a lot of money, just enough. Get me to go around. But I remember as I went to work every morning, I'd go to work, I'd be there an hour early. Oh God And in the morning before people came I would pray I'd pray Oh God I want to work for you I've come to Bible school Because I want to work for you God I want to get married God I want to have a church I don't know how I'm going to do it God Will you guide me and lead me? And because I was at Rema, I could buy some of the material and I'd take some of this material that had these confessions and I'd speak it over my life and walk the floor as many as are led by the Spirit of God that the sons of God. Lord, I want to thank you for leading and guiding my steps because I'm your child. I thank you that you will lead me into divine coincidences. And I went on and on and on and on and on. You've heard the story. I've told it so many times. Finally, just through the work I was doing, I was told Pastor Ray wants to see me. And when I went into his office, he said, Musa, we have a church in Soweto. We have a pastor there. The church is growing. He needs someone to help them. Can you be our assistant pastor there? He said, yes. He said, can you recommend somebody? I said, yeah, I recommend my friend, Jerry Chela. And I went over to go and help in the church. Rema Soweto. Served with faithfulness. That's why I always talk about people serving. You're not wasting your time, guys. It may not translate into money, but it translates into divine opportunity. Yeah. Too many people are money conscious. You're thinking too much about money. But as I served at Rema, then I went and served under Pastor Andre Knutze. A year before he left, the Spirit of God said, your pastor is going to leave and you're going to be the next pastor of this church. I didn't tell anybody. I've learned spiritual things. Just don't tell anybody. I just I never told anybody. I did tell my mother sometime much later though, but none, none outside of her, nobody. A year later to the time. A year later to the time, Bazalwan. A year later to the time. 
Pastor Andrew Knutze announces I'm going to resign. He said, I'm still praying about who's going to be the pastor. Now, I didn't say, hey, yeah, God spoke. No, I just said, oh, if it's God, it will work. If it's God, it will work. He recommended me that people who didn't agree with it, who caused a lot of problems, because they didn't think I'm the right one. They came up with all kinds of reasons. He went to Pastor Ray, spoke to Pastor Ray and the late Masuokulo. I didn't know this discussion was going on. Goes to Pastor Ray and said, Pastor Ray, that young man is the right one. And then, and then on, the, on, the, on the 4th of September, 1983, this church was handed over to me. So, yeah. Listen, I'm not preaching stories to you. I'm telling you what changed my life. I'm telling you, it's not a coincidence, not because some of us were the brightest of people. We were not the strongest of people. We were not the cleverest of people. But maybe unknowingly, we, we pushed a law. We pressed a button of a law. And that's my heart is always filled with gratitude when I stand here. Because I know my own mind, my own ways, no way this can happen. But I know God. And I know His Word. And it's the same word I'm preaching to you. Maybe you are sitting in a situation that is so difficult and so impossible and you look around and you think it will never work. You are looking at an example. This word works. This word works. It works. And you are no exception. God is no respecter of persons. If God could do it for me, he will do it for you. It's never too late for God. God is always on time. Doesn't matter how long things have gone wrong. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is the same. And it's the grace of God that's able to carry us. And the same grace that will carry you. Will you stand on your feet, please, as I lead you?
Mobu Hau Wa Mojimbo
Thank you, Jesus. We are grateful, Lord. We are grateful. We are grateful. Thank you. Let's all stand on our feet. Just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Nobody leaving, please. Nobody moving. It's a holy moment. Where people's eternal destinies are to be changed by our God. If you are here and you have been invited or you may have come on your own. Or it might be that you even attend here regularly, but as yet... You have not received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. That's where it all begins. Jesus Christ coming into our hearts, changing us and making us to be God's children. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes, please? If it is that you know that your life is far from God, or there's a sense in your heart where you're just not sure about your eternal destiny, and today you've heard that God stretches his hand towards you and extends an invitation and waits for you to accept that invitation. And you say, please, Bishop, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Christ. I'm not right with God. Please, would you pray for me? I need prayer. If that is you and you need prayer and you want to receive Christ in your life as Savior and Lord and you need prayer, would you raise your hand right where you are? Raise it high without any fear, without any shame. Thank you for those hands. Raise it up all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's a holy moment. I ask people not to move around and walk around. Let's give these precious ones a chance to encounter the grace of God. I want to ask the people who raise their hands, I want to pray for you. I ask you please if you could take all your belongings in your hands, take everything that's yours and that walk from where you are and walk all the way to the front so that we pray. And for those of you who are live streaming in the different churches, please walk to the front of that building. There'll be somebody there to help you. All right, begin to walk. All those of you who raised your hands, just come. Let me pray for you. Let me lead you through uh, the speaking the blessings over your life and then you can get it afterwards. These are words that you're going to speak over your life. Remember, words don't dissipate, they don't disappear. They hang around in the world of the spirit. And through continued confession, through continued stating, declaration, those words become born and they change destinies. I'm a living testimony of that. All my life has hung on that. Even now, with the future of our church, I'm doing the same thing. And I know God will never fail us. Follow me in these declarations. According to Psalms 118 verse 17, that was a good warm-up. That was not good enough. <laughs> Some of you had to keep off guard. Say it after me. According to Psalms 118 verse 17. I will not die. Instead. 
I will live to tell what the Lord has done. Now, I see some of you, you are a little half-hearted about this. Remember, your destiny is in your mouth. Literally. You come from years and years and years of wrong, evil. So we've got to tear into that evil world with conviction as we say these words. So I'm going to lead you through it again because there's a long list we're going to go through. But I want you to say it with every ounce of your being. And we're going to post this on our website, Bishop Sermons, I think it is. Bishop's Notes. Bishop's Notes on our website. And you can download it and you begin to speak it over your life. Are you ready? Yes. According to Psalms 118 verse 17. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. I dispel the spirit of death that tries to hang over my life, my family, my lineage. In the name of Jesus, I revoke you. In the name of Jesus, I block you out. I drive you out in the name of Jesus. Never again will I say I can't. Because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Never again will I confess fear because 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Never again will I confess doubt or lack of faith. Because Romans 12.3 says, God has dealt to each one, to every person, a measure of faith. Never again will I confess weakness. Because Psalms 27 one says, The Lord is the strength of my life. Daniel 11.32 says, The people that know their God, shall be strong and carry out great exploits. In the name of Jesus, God has made me strong. In the name of Jesus, I will carry out great exploits. Never again will I confess supremacy of Satan over my life. Because 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Never again will I confess defeat because 2 Corinthians 2.14 says God always causes me to triumph in Jesus Christ. Never again will I confess lack of wisdom 
Because 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ has become to me wisdom from God. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Never again will I confess sickness because Isaiah 53 verse 5 says with his stripes I was healed Matthew 8 17 says himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses never again will I confess bondage because 2 Corinthians 3 17 says where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. And because he is in me, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I am free in Jesus. I've been set free in Jesus. Never again will I confess worry and frustrations because first peter 5 7 says casting all your cares upon him who cares for you i've taken all my worries all my concerns all my anxieties and i have thrown them to jesus he is handling it for me i will not worry I will not be anxious for God is on my side. Never again will I confess condemnation because Romans 8 1 says there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus and therefore I am free from all condemnation. I can stand before God without a sense of guilt without doubt without inferiority without shame not because of what i've done but because of what jesus has done i can come boldly 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 to the throne of grace to present my needs before god and i know he will hear me never again will i confess loneliness because matthew 28 20 says Jesus said, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Even if I'm alone, I will not be lonely. Even if I'm by myself, I will not allow loneliness to destroy my life. I am not lonely. Wherever I go, God is with me. Even if I don't feel it, God is with me. Wherever I am, God is with me. Never again will I confess curses or bad luck. Listen, Yama. Because God says in Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law being made a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham 
might come upon me. I am blessed. I am not cursed. I am blessed. I am blessed coming in. I am blessed going out. Everything that I handle is blessed. Everything that I lead is blessed. Everywhere I go, the blessing comes. I am blessed. I am blessed. Never again will I focus on being discontented. Because Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned in whatever state, whatever circumstances, therewith to be content. No matter what I go through, I will be content in Jesus. If trials come, I will be content in Jesus. If tests come, I will be content in Jesus. When difficult seasons come, I will be content in Jesus. Jesus is my everything. Never again will I confess unworthiness. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, that I should be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not unworthy. I am worthy because God sent his son to die for me. Never again will I confess confusion because 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells me that God is not the author of confusion but he is the author of peace. Even when I don't understand I'm not confused. I don't walk in confusion. God will shine a light on my path. 1 Corinthians 2.12 tells me that I have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that I may know the things that have been freely given to me by God. God will show me by his spirit. God will guide my steps. God will direct my steps. I may not know now but I will know in the coming future. God will reveal to me. I am not confused about the direction of my life. I'm not confused about the choices in my life. I rebuke the spirit of confusion. My mind is clear. My thinking is clear. The wisdom of God fills my mind. Never again will I focus on persecution. Because the word of God says in Romans 8.31 If God be for us, who can be against us? No matter how many people are against me, God is on my side. And me and God are the majority. They are more on my side. Never again will I confess domination of sin. Because Romans 8.2 says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Never again will I confess insecurity or insecurity because the word of the Lord tells me in Proverbs 3 verse 24 when you lie down you will not be afraid. Yes, when you lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid 
of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. He will keep your foot from being caught. He is my God. He will keep my foot from stumbling. He is my God. I am secure when I'm with him. Nothing will unsettle me. Never again will I confess failure. Because Romans 8.37 says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Three more to go, three more to go. Get some spirit in you. Never again will I focus on frustration. Because Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because it trusts in you. Even when I go through difficult seasons, I will not be frustrated. I will be at peace. Even when things around are falling apart, I will be at peace because my mind is stayed on him and I put my trust in Jehovah God. Never again will I confess fear. Fear of the future. Because First Corinthians 2 verse 9 and 10 says, as it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to me by his spirit. I'm not afraid of my future because God told me, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Thoughts of peace, thoughts to give you a future and an expected end. My tomorrow is brighter than my yesterday. My future is brighter than my past. I am not afraid to walk into the future because he guides my steps. He leads my steps. Never again will I focus on troubles because John 16.33 says in this world you will have troubles and tribulations but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My Lord Jesus has overcome the world. Even if troubles come, he will lift me up above the troubles. Even if troubles come, he will help me navigate the troubles. Even if difficult seasons come, he will carry me in his hands. So I am not afraid because he told me I must be of good cheer. I have overcome the world in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a big shout and a big praise if you believe that. Come on, somebody. Let the curses roll away, roll away. Roll away like a blanket lifting up, lifting up, lifting up. Generational things are being changed. Your future is being changed. Healing is coming into your body. Come on, give him a shout. He deserves it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Raise your hands. When I was praying about this, God said, pray for them. And rebuke the spirit of death. Not so much only with physical death. But everything that causes things to die in your life. Things in your career to die. Things in your finances that get eaten away and you don't know what's wrong. Where things are not working out for you. Ah, the Holy Ghost is in this house. 
Raise those hands. Remember, remember what I said. In the Old Testament times, the priest would raise his hands and he would bless the people. It's a spiritual law. And so today I stand here as the priest. And I stand and declare the blessing of God upon your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I break every yoke of darkness. I rebuke the spirit of death upon these, your children. And these, your people, in the name of Jesus. Death, you are not allowed in these people's lives. You will not take their lives before their time. They will live to the fullness of age. You spirit of death who comes in the form of incurable diseases or diseases that speed up the death of God's children. I command every sickness. I command every disease. I command every malady to break from God's children. I speak to incurable diseases, high blood pressure, heart problems, sugar diabetes, all kinds of diseases. I speak to cancers right now. Cancers of the blood. Cancers anywhere in the body. I speak to you in the name of Jesus. I command you, spirit of death, let go of God's people. You have no right on them. Jesus has redeemed them from the curse of the law and you are trespassing in their bodies. They have made a declaration. They have spoken words over their lives. They have cut off the connection. They have stood up and they are blocking the generational perpetuation of these evil things. They are invoking spiritual law. They have released the power of the blessing over their lives. So death, you have no right on them. You have no right to kill their businesses. You have no right to take away their finances. You have no right to stop them in their careers. You have no right to cause their life to go around in circles. You have no right to touch their relationships and cause their relationships to go sour. You have no right in the name of Jesus to influence their thinking, their minds and to bring about death in their lives. In the name of Jesus, spirit of death, I command you not only to leave them, leave their families in the name of Jesus. Get out of that home in the name of Jesus. I command you not to leave that home only but leave the generational life leave the family lineage I command you right now get out in Jesus name spirits of death you evil spirits and every door that has been opened in these families I close it right now in the name of Jesus I speak the blessing of God you are blessed 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 in the name of Jesus and every promise of the word of God and every blessing that belongs to your children has been invoked right now. In the name of Jesus. I feel God that people who've had foggy thinking in their minds. And I thank you that you free them in their minds that they have clear thinking. Even as I speak right now. In the name of Jesus. Those who've had niggling conditions where their families have died of things that they could not diagnose that curse is being lifted right now as I speak in the name of Jesus. And I pray for people whose bodies have become weak and they don't know why. They're being strengthened right now. Receive the healing power of God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Receive the healing power of God right where you stand, right where you stand, right where you stand. Shangora Hamali Tekere Mangrengandombra Rabara Manongres or Grestos Kamangela La Hale Almuma Emariandombra Gara Manenga Ndongela Mbraga Labahule Gudzenzo Jet Grema Nehala Manense.